Isaiah 9 uh, is the text that's going to be our text for uh, Advent this year. We're going to just unpack uh, verse 6. And this is what it says. I'll read it to you. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's, and that, that's the main idea that we're going for. That Jesus is a gift. I don't think that we see Jesus as a gift as often as we should or need to. And hopefully after a couple of weeks of of this churning in us, we will we'll more naturally think of Him that way. But to us a Son is given. And so we as humanity need to look at the incarnation of Christ, His first coming, as this beautiful gift of a person. We understand, we know what like, the gift of a person looks like. You know, those of you who are parents, you look at your kids and you're like, even on the worst day, these kids are a gift, you know. If you're married, you look at your spouse, even on the worst day, a gift. We look at friendships that we have and the community that we live in sometimes. And there are some times when you just have to step back and say, the Lord just gave me this gift of a friend that I just could not, uh, I could not have deserved. It's better than I could have asked for. And so um, Jesus being a gift, the thing about him being a gift is that you don't earn a gift. You earn a reward. You don't earn a gift. A gift is given out of love and care and um, out of the depth of relationship that's there. And so to us a son is born, to us a child is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor Mighty God, Everlasting Father Prince of Peace. So those four things, we're doing one each week. We did, everlasting, we did Wonderful Counselor last week on uh, Advent Eve. And so tonight we're going to do uh, Mighty God. And so I started looking at, at, at that and kind of looking into like what the Hebrew words were and stuff. And it's exactly what you think when you see Mighty God. Like I know Wonderful Counselor had, there's some like multiple meanings there. But like Mighty God, you look at, what does it mean in Hebrew? Mighty God. It's exactly that right there. Um, the word for might is kind of interesting because that word is mostly used to describe a, uh, someone who is a warrior. And I'm not saying that we should look at that and say it's wonderful counselor, warrior God. We sh- it should say mighty God. But with that, we should have that understanding of might in the sense of being a warrior. So I started thinking about that and how Jesus really isn't... He's not a warrior the way that you and I tend to think about warriors like... Uh, like Conan the Barbarian or, you know, William Wallace or uh, Maximus or like any of the things that movies have taught us or uh, for those of you who read, you know, books, uh, what books have taught us, literature, fine literature, those kinds of things. But there's this, you know, this idea of like a warrior. He's like big and muscular and like, like good with a sword and like you just don't want to mess with him, all that kind of stuff. And Jesus has that, there's that element to it, but there's... But there's just, more, there's just more to it than that. It's not the stereotypical American understanding of what toughness is, or what a warrior is, or what a man is. It's just different. And so when we think mighty God, there should be that warrior in there, that strength in there. But, but here's, let me just give you like a, a, 
short kind of thing. Um, when we see mighty God, we should think this. We should think that, that Jesus has all the power of God used to fight for his people. That all, all of the strength and the power of God that is used to fight for his people. Um, so when we see that, his name shall be called Mighty God. That's what we should be thinking about. In Colossians 1, there's uh, this you know, text that kind of explains some things about Jesus that, that I think are beneficial to us. And in the end, Mighty God is going to connect to Wonderful Counselor in a way that I think, I think will be really, really good for us to, to see. So in Colossians 1, starting in verse 15... First couple of verses, they basically tell us like exactly who Jesus is. And so you take that warrior idea, you take this the might and strength of God, all of that channeled into someone that God has sent to us to fight for us. Not to fight us, to fight for us. This is how he this is how God describes Jesus. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Okay, the image of the invisible God. So, when you are like, wonder what God is like, when you read what Jesus is like, and it's the same. It's the same thing. We can't see God, but we can see Jesus. We see Him through the Word. Now, at one time, He walked the earth. And that's what we're celebrating: is the incarnation. And so. When, when you read Jesus interacting with people directly, it wasn't like, oh, Jesus is so nice, and God, but God's so mean, you know, God's so vindictive, and God's so whatever, and, but Jesus, he's kind and sweet, and I like him a whole lot better. That's not, that's not what's going on. Do you see Jesus? You see God. It's the same, same thing. Um, when you talk about strength and might, look, verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Okay, so the verse 16 starts off says that by him it was created, and then the end it says, through him and for him it was created. So by him and through him and for him. Let's, let's hang out there just for a second. That um, when, so when, when you, you read the creation account in the beginning of Genesis and uh, all the, like everything is being created. Jesus is the one who's doing that. And so very important that we all be on the same page, you know, always, that Jesus being born that day was not the beginning of his existence. And nine months before that wasn't the beginning of his existence. He existed in the beginning. And so when things are being created, God the Father dreams it up. And he tells the Son, Jesus, and Jesus creates it. There's two amazing things about, the, about how he does it to me. One, he creates it out of nothing. Like, it did not exist. No, no materials, no, no list of instructions, no anything. It just didn't exist. He created it out of nothing. And the second thing is he just spoke it into, into reality. He just said it. Let there be light. And there's light. It's not like he took a bunch of stuff and like manufactured light. Like He made light. And that... that we don't understand that kind of creative power, you know. Like even the even the creativity that we see, you know, on display in our, our world today. Like you could say, like, well, I mean, there's people create stuff out of nothing now. People write songs, or people, you know, they paint and they do. There's all these kinds of things, especially in the arts. We're like, no, you created that. 
It's like, okay, well, if, if someone writes a song that didn't, it didn't exist yesterday and it exists today, then yeah, they created it in a sense, but all they did was they took notes that already existed and just put them in order in a new way. They took words that already existed and crafted them together in a way that made sense. The words are made up of letters that already existed, and so all those things, language already existed. And so you, you put these things that have already existed just in a new order. So you have created something, but you haven't created it out of nothing. And even if you were to, you were to argue about that, okay, but even the, if you were to trace that back, okay, where did that song come from? What well, came from a person? Where did the person come from? The person came from their parents. Where did their parents come from? From their parents. Back and back and back and back and back to Noah and the flood and the family, right? Where did they come from? Back and back and back and back to Adam and Eve. Where did Eve come from? Adam's rib. Where did, rib come, where did, where did Adam come from? The dirt. Where did the dirt come from? Jesus spoke it into existence. There is no creating things out of nothing in our world. And there's definitely not a speaking it into existence. It just doesn't happen. And so, to us, a child is given, a son has been born as a gift, and he has the ability to just speak something into existence. That's, that's ridiculous power right there. That's not Conan the Barbarian power. That's not the strongman on ESPN2 you know, late at night, you know, the strongman competition. That's not that kind of power. That's not anything that we, can, that we can possibly relate to. This is the mighty God who just says, let there be light, and there is light. Given to us to fight for His people. Let's keep going. So all created by Him, through Him, and for Him. That's what we see in the, in the verse. By Him... Through him, meaning that it was his, his power making it happen. And for him, that he's the reason it was all made in the first place. You're like, why? You look at the Swiss Alps. Why do the Swiss Alps ex- exist? For Jesus. That's why. Go outside on a clear night, see all the stars. Why are, they, why are, they, why are, they, why are we here? Who am I? All these questions. For Jesus. Everyone, for him. By Him, through Him, for Him, everything is created. Look at the next verse. And He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. So He's the ruler and the king over the people of God and all the universe that He might be the authority and sustaining presence over all things. So in other words, what's the, what's the point here? These verses are saying, this is who Jesus is. We need to walk away from this and say, okay, so Jesus can do anything. Like he, he, can do, he can do anything. If you can take a pile of dirt and make a man out of it, you can do anything. If you can make him fall asleep, take out his rib, make him a wife, you can do anything. Anything, anything, anything. He can do it. 
That, that is a redefining of might. A redefining of what it means to be a warrior because that is all channeled into fighting for His people. That's what He does. So those verses tell us who He is. Second, uh, second point is that He moved, verse 19. 19 and 20 tell us that this is, this is the Father's plan for, for Him. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Okay, so it pleases God the Father that this fullness of deity be present in Jesus. Okay, that in the incarnation, it was to the Father's good pleasure that that baby lying in a manger be the same like, full God who spoke it into existence. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So this is what the Father is always going for, okay? The fullness of God dwelling completely on the Son. He wants all things to be reconciled. All the fallen humanity, all of creation that has been impacted by sin, all of it to be reconciled to himself. Through the shedding of his blood, and for that to result in peace, for that to result in the shalom that comes with in, in being there being true oneness with God, no more dissonance between man and God, creation and God. There's a oneness that's there, that's shalom, and so that's what that's what the Father's going for. So the first three verses tell us this is this is who He is. The next two tell us, and this is the this is God's intent. For, for Jesus. And so where does that lead? Look at 21 and 22. And I just wrote down, summing up these verses, so he fights. That's who he is. That's God's plan. And so what does he do? Jesus fights. And this is part of the fight. Verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Okay? 21 says that at one point we were hostile, alienated from God. And so remember when I said that Jesus is a gift and you don't earn a gift? We, we have earned an eternity separated from God because of sin. And so Jesus fought for us. Not, and He's not fighting the Father for us. He fought the, he fought the things that, that keep us from God. He fought sin. And sin leads to death. And so He took on death. And so all that might and all that authority and all that sustaining power and all, like, all of that channels into fighting for His people who deserve the exact opposite. And that's the thing about like becoming about just thinking differently about, about him as a warrior is that there's a character here. There's integrity here, there's a holiness that's here. There's something different about this warrior. That he fights for his enemies and those who deserve punishment and death. And so he fights. 
verse 22, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. And so what is, how, did, how did all that go down? Well, He left heaven. You know, Philippians 2, He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be held onto. He was open-handed with His life. And so the Father said, you go to earth. And He said, okay, I'll go to earth. And then going back to last week, He didn't just like show up as an adult and be like, I'm the Messiah, I'm holy and perfect, I'm going to die real quick, and then everything will be fine. No, he enters into the world in this like really, really just unique set of circumstances. I mean, he's born, and so for 30, 30-something 30 years, he experiences all that this world has to offer, the really good stuff and all of the terrible stuff, and things that we will never understand he gets all these experiences and he, he makes it through every single one of them without sin. And so he becomes this perfect sacrifice for us. But also he lived this life of serving people and, and healing people. And you look at all the miracles and all the teaching and all the care, all the compassion, all the goodness, all the grace. like Everything about his entire life led to the cross, which accomplished all this stuff for us. But it's all, it all packs together. All of that was Him fighting for us. All of it was the might of God, the warrior God, the power of God fighting for us. And so you read a story about Jesus healing a blind man. That's Him fighting for us. And yeah, part of it is Him showing off the power of God and showing off the goodness of God. But a part of it as well is He's fighting for us in that. Everything about Him, every story, every everything, it's all Him fighting for us. Why? So that He could do what this verse says. That He could present us holy, blameless, above reproach before Him. That Jesus was all about your holiness. All about my holiness. That we as the people of God could not fight for our own holiness. We had to be rescued, and He came in and did that. So the God who can do anything, what does He do? He fights for us, who deserve nothing but death and brings us life. That's, that's what He does. That is the gift of Jesus. It was part of the gift. And so we have to, we, we really have to be just always open to God teaching us new things about Himself and realizing that when we think about Jesus, He's not our reward for being so awesome. He is a gift because God loves us. It's just so so simple. It's just a simple, simple thing. But yet there's so much depth that's there. And so you take, all, you take all of that and you're like, okay, so what, what does that have to do with me today? Like, what is that, how does that impact um, Advent? How does it, what does that have to do with, uh, with any of that stuff? Let me tell you. Let me go to the next verse. 
So he just said, you're alienated. Now he's reconciled you to present you holy and blameless. And then verse 23 says, if indeed you continue in the faith. And that word if, it's not like an if, like a contingent if. Okay, and this is one of the, one of the places where, where the Greek kind of fails us a little bit. It's not like a, if you do this, then everything will be okay. He's, it's a given for Paul in this letter. It's a given that they're going to continue in these things. So just kind of don't take that if... Don't let that mess with you. Uh, if you continue in the faith, but look at the vibe here. Continuing, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So look at that. Here's, here, here's the, this is the application part. This is, the, this is what it has to do with you. This is what all this means you just need to continue, be stable, steadfast, don't shift. Faith and hope, all those things. There's so much stability that comes. And that's, that's where Advent like, should, it should take us there. Like, that should be the momentum of Advent. There should be this, this massive anticipation of what's to come. And our final community group together, like this, this week, we're going to go through the revelation. We're talking about the new earth. It's going to be really, really good. And that's supposed to stir in us like, man, I just wish it was today. We're supposed to have that. But all at the same time, it's supposed to build this security in, for, in where we are now. To be in between those two things. Like, okay, he said it was going to happen this way, and it happened that way. And now he said it's going to happen in this way, and so it's going to happen this way. So here I am between first coming, second coming, how do I live here? Well, you just live with stability. So when it says to be stable and steadfast and remaining in that, in that hope, I think that the word that you take away, you apply that, that's, just, that's what abiding is. That's, that's all it is. And we use that word so much around here at the ring. It's become a concept that we continue to just ask Jesus to teach us more about because, because I don't think we really understand, but... Uh, to abide just means to remain, and Jesus you know, gives the the brilliant illustration of of it's like a it's like the trunk of a tree and the branch of a tree. Like you want to understand abiding, you just look at a tree. So you have a trunk and you have a branch, and at the end of the branch there's fruit. So all the branch has to do is just remain attached to the trunk. That's that's its job. You just you just remain there, and from the trunk comes the water. And nutrients and all that kind of stuff it flows to the end of that branch and then there's fruit and that's what we want from our lives right that's what we want so Jesus is like okay I'm like the trunk from me into your life flows all the, all the goodness and the power that you need and so you take, you take mighty God and he comes to you and says look I, I can speak things into, create, into existence like everything in the universe is created by me through me, for me, it's all about, there's this, I'm the preeminent one. Everything is at my feet. Here's what I want to do. I just want you, I want you just to attach yourself to me in such a way that, that my, all that power can just flow into your life. It flows into your life just like water flows from the trunk of a tree into the branch. And the fruit comes when the fruit comes. So if you were to look at that illustration, you are say, okay, who's, who's responsible for the fruit? Is it the branch or is it the trunk? And I would say, both, right? It's both. That's how it works. That's how abiding works. It's not that, that Jesus is like, look, you just sit there and I'll do everything. 
That's not how, that's not how it works. He says, you remain in me, and I'm going to empower every effort that you put in, but you still got to do the work. So how do, how do you abide? How do you remain? How do you, how do you live in this, in this reality when he says, continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, don't shift from the hope of the gospel? How do you do that? You, you pray and you, and you read the Bible and you're part of community and you, you, you maintain this dependence on Jesus, but not the kind of dependence where you're like, I'm just going to be super lazy and like make you do everything. Because he's like, oh, that, that's, that's not how it works. You know that, right? You say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put in every effort to obey and I'm going to trust that you're going to supply me with what I need. And so what, what essentially is happening in abiding is you take wonderful counselor and mighty God and, and, and you marry them together. So wonderful counselor is um, the, the one translation called him the magnificent strategist. Okay? That, that, all, that all those experiences on earth, he, may, he experienced everything that we, that we have, according to Hebrews 4, um, but was without sin. And so he's the wonderful counselor in the sense that he's been through all the things that we have. And he's also outside of time and all that kind of stuff. Keep all that in mind. And so he's able to show you how to navigate your way through life. Uh, last week I said it's, it's like a minefield. You know, like you're crawling through the minefield and he's showing you where the mines are. Like, don't, you know, avoid that, avoid that, avoid that. But the thing is, if you sit down, if you go sit down with a phenomenon, just someone so full of wisdom and they give you such great counsel, they can't do it for you, Right? Like they can tell you, like, this is what I think you need to do. And you're like, okay. But you still have to leave that room and go and do that. With Jesus, you get the wonderful counselor who's showing you where the minds are. But he's also empowering every one of your efforts to avoid them. He gives you the counsel and then he empowers your actions as you carry those things out. The two, the two of those things go together. And so in abiding, we're connected to Jesus and he's empowering every single thing that we do. So when you pray, you sit down and he's empowering your prayers. And when you feel like the Lord's leading you to do something and you're trying to be obedient, he's empowering your obedience. And so the mighty one who speaks things into existence is able to say, hey, I know this, I know this is going to be difficult, but you start moving through that, that, that field. We'll do this together. Like I did a sermon a while back uh, talking about Jesus taking the wheel and how, and how we tend to, like, that, that song is like, oh, no, I, I can't drive anymore. Jesus, you drive. And he's like, oh, okay, you know, that's not how it works. That's not like, Jesus, you drive because these things are crazy and I'm going to take over driving. We'll, just, we'll, we'll swap out like a road trip. It's not, it doesn't work like that. Jesus says, no, you drive. But I'll, um, in a non-weird way, I'll, I'll put my hands on, on your hands on the steering wheel. And, uh, and we'll drive together. He's the wonderful counselor. He's also the mighty God. And those two things marry together as one. And so you get the perfect counsel and you get the perfect empowerment. And so God, in His infinite wisdom, looked at us and said, um, this is going to be the Messiah that I'm going to give my people He's not going to rule from afar. He's not going to just do the bare minimum. I'm going to give him as a gift. And how tragic that this beautiful gift of the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, is so rarely utilized 
Like so many Christians live, we live our lives and we think we got it all figured out. We know all this stuff and we don't abide. And he's, <laughs> that's who we're ignoring. That's who we're saying no to. And so the, it's not like, it shouldn't be like a guilt thing at all. It should be like, hey, God's given us a gift in Jesus. And so there should be this gratitude that wells up in us. There also should be this sense of like, okay, if he's going to give me a gift, there's a reason he gave me the gift. Because he knows that I need, this is what I need. So why in the world would I push him aside? Whether it's intentional or whether it's just through prayerlessness or a lack of faith. Or just being so caught up in the busyness of life that we're like, I don't really have time to pray or be in the Word. Or I'm just going to skip group this week because i got a lot going on. Or this and this and this and this. And I'll, I'll stop giving examples. But you know, you know what I'm talking about. How, how dare we look at God and say, I know you gave me this gift and everything and I really appreciate it. But right now, I think I'm good. When things get crazy, maybe I'll contact you or whatever. And we would never say that. But sometimes that's where, where it leads. And, and I don't think that God heaps condemnation on us in that. I don't think He's sitting here being like, how dare you do that? I'm saying, how dare we? I, but I think what He is saying is like, no, instead of being like, how dare you, let's push that to the side and let's just look at Colossians 1. Like, just look at the beauty that's there. Look at the gift that, that's there. And Jesus isn't going anywhere. His feelings aren't hurt. And so if you're, in, if you're refusing to abide or you're just, just pushing away from that mighty God, he's, he's not pouting somewhere. He doesn't need to pout. He's, the, he's faithful to us. And so I would just encourage you to draw near to the gift that God has given us. And I don't know what it is that you may be facing but if His wonderful counsel is encouraging you and showing you how to navigate it, but there's a fear that's holding you back from taking those steps, you need to know that, that the wonderful counselor is also the mighty God who's going to empower that. And so when you abide and you depend, there is literally supernatural life happening through you. And some of those times when you sit there and you're like, I can't, I can't believe that I handled it this way, this well. And you're like, yeah, well, Jesus handled it well through you. That's how it works. And so I don't know where this fits into, into your life, and that's between you and the Lord. Uh, but we just need to be good stewards of what He's bringing before us. Uh, so let me, um, let me pray for us, and uh, we'll sing a little bit, and then we'll go eat some pancakes. Lord, we thank you for for the gift that is Jesus, and there's certainly a a repentance on our part for the times that we we just think that we know better, or that we just get to where we're just too busy, or too distracted, or too too whatever. God, I'm grateful that that you don't give up on us. And that you are faithful to us when we, when we come up short. So I, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to, to regain and never lose sight of just the goodness and the, the majesty of Jesus. We thank you for this gift that we just really never could have earned. 
we certainly don't deserve. It's just your goodness. So help us, Lord, to keep his, his character and his might in, just in, in full view. And as our wonderful counselor looks to not only guide us through the difficulties of life, but also empower us. Each of us have, has a way of applying the things you stirred in us tonight. I pray that we would be good stewards, especially you know when we get home. That there would just be some time where we're able to really process it. And I pray, Lord, that as we sing tonight, as we close things out here, that uh, that you just just connect some dots for us. Help us to sing out of response to the things you're stirring. You guys just just pray for a second, and then when the music starts, we'll uh, we'll sing a little bit together. <clears throat>